Hey everybody, welcome back. At the beginning of some of these episodes, we'd like to give a shout out to some of our fans. We have one in particular on Facebook. His name is Ken Wilson Jr. He really jumped into a discussion we had regarding Raiders and Back to the Future. Yeah, he is a Ready Player One fan and a super fan at that, and was turned on to our episode by another Gunter. And so, all the Gunters out there, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy. We're going to travel down some rabbit holes that uh, we think Ready Player One fans will like. Right. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode three of the Raiders Back to the Future podcast. This one, we're going to take a deep dive into some of the big ideas of Raiders and Back to the Future. So listen in, please stay tuned for our final episode next week. And without further ado... Hello everybody! And welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. Hey everybody, welcome back. We talked about the intro a little bit with each of the movies. Let's look at the ordinary world that we see for the first time with Indiana. He's a college professor. He is, he, is. he is Clark Kent with his glasses on and no hat, no <laughs> Superman cape on. Love it. He talks to a museum coordinator and it's all very plain, right? right? Right. And then with Marty, you've got Hill Valley, which is as plain. And I mean, they wanted to make this every town America and they did the exact job. That square could have been the square that I grew up in. Right. But both of them are, are just kind of in this humdrum world. Now, Indy has had adventure before. Marty has not. No much fly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Yeah, well, history is going to change. We call that foreshadowing. Yes. But we know nothing's ever happened with this guy. Right. With Indy, his real world, it's almost like this is my newspaper job so that I can go fight crime later on. When Indy is teaching and the girl has written on her eyelids... Love you. Yes. Spielberg and Lucas kind of went round and round about this. They were arguing about whether Indy should be this sort of playboy, James Bond-esque character, which he kind of is, or should he be, it belongs in a museum, nerdy professor. It's the duality of Indiana Jones, sure. But yes, there was a scene that we've talked about before that was in the original Raiders footage, but that they cut before the final cut, where he had been intimately involved with one of the students just before Brody shows up. It was the Love You Girl. It was was her. Yeah, it was her. Brody comes over to his apartment, and she is clearly over there not studying. Right. And uh, Andy's in a robe. Yeah. And he kicks her out before they have the big discussion about the boogeyman in the ark. And I, did I hear champagne chilling in the background? <laughs> you heard that? I knew it. <laughs> Mr. Mom, for a later podcast. And then, of course, in, in, in Marty's ordinary world, you also have the poor pathetic parents who almost don't communicate with each other at all the wimpy dad the alcoholic mother who might have been born a nun and so they are both primed for their call to adventure which is about to come hmm. so with indy's call to adventure we have the government men what do i want to see them for what am i in trouble <laughs> Which, again, lets you know about Indy's character and what he's worried about. And so they go in and they speak to the government men who give them this call. Like, we've got this information. And they 
do this wonderful exposition point where they tell us the story without it seeming contrived. And it's so beautiful how they do it because it's in a classroom that looks more like a cathedral. We've got stained glass windows. It looks windows like church, up. yeah. It looks like church. They're talking about God. Good God. Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. Uh, now, what's that supposed to be coming out of there? Lightning. Fire. Power of God or something. And and so this awesome call to adventure where Indy is salivating. He, there's no resistance from him. Marty's call to adventure is a phone call. Hello. Marty, you didn't fall asleep, did you? Uh, Doc. Uh, no. No, don't, don't be silly. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, just one of those government men. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but one of those guys, kind of the fat guy, yeah. kind of the guy that he's the bigger jerk of the two. That's Porkins from Star Wars. Oh yes, did you know that? No, but I now that you say it, that makes total sense. He's yes. the fat X-wing pilot that gets blown up in the Battle of the Death Star. So. Oh, of course, Porkins. It is. Eject. I can hold it. Pull up. No, I'm all right. Porkins. You know, so inappropriate. Poor guy. <laughs> Poor guy who got to be in two of the biggest movies of all time. Uh, three, if you count Batman. Was he the like the fat inspector in Batman? Yeah. Oh, wow. Where you've been spending your nights. What a career. It's the guy who gets shot. Joker shoots him right before he drops in the vat. Yes. Okay, so they both have their call to adventure, and we got a bit of a warning from our mentors here, right? Right. In Indy's situation, we have Brody warning him. Well, she'll still be with him? Possibly. Marion's the least of your worries right now, believe me, Indy. What do you mean? Well, I mean that for nearly 3,000 years, man has been searching for the lost ark. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. It's like nothing you've ever gone after before. You're not concerned about the right thing here, talking about Mary, and this is some big deal stuff, right? The Ark is not of this earth. Right. And then with Marty, you at least have some explanation as to why things happen, the need for plutonium, this, you know, what can happen when you go back and forth in time. The real warning, unfortunately, doesn't happen until it's already too late for him which is you can't go start hanging out in Hill Valley because you may unalterably affect the future. Right. And he gets that from 1955, Doc. He's already there, so it's too late. Right. So then at this, you know, then we, we cross the threshold. Indy leaves on the plane. Somehow the Nazis already know about him, already following him. By the way, uh, how do you pronounce the... Tote. Tote, yes. So there's this there's this moment, interestingly, where he's reading that Life magazine as they're both they've both boarded the same plane, mm-hmm. and I've always I wondered about that Life magazine because it kind of looks like a, like a Nazi kid on the front cover. Oh, yeah. As it turns out, it's actually a kid from West Point, and that was the second issue of Life magazine that was ever made. Oh, cool. This movie takes place in 1936. That was the November 1936 edition of Life, and the kid on the front is a right. little soldier student from West Point. And then we've got the, they both uh, move towards crossing the threshold, and they're both attacked by t- terrorists, right? Right. Right. So Indy, you know, Indy goes and is on his way to this new world. Mark 
Hardy doesn't realize where he's about to go, but they both get attacked. Indy by the goons in Nepal along with Tote, and Marty by the Libyans. That's right. Oh, my God. They found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Run for it, Marty! Who? Who? Who do you think? The Libyans! Holy... I don't know who found me. They found me, Marty. Well, maybe it was your giant truck with the name Doc Brown written on the side of it. It's I'm the guessing. only car in the mall parking lot. <laughs> so the Libyans show up at Twin Pines Mall. I don't know if we can talk about Twin Pines Mall, but this is a big deal later on, right? Right. As I said earlier, every single thing in Back to the Future is either a setup or a payoff of a setup that has already happened. And Twin Pines Mall, interestingly, we get a little bit of that setup up just before Marty travels back in time where old man Peabody had this crazy idea about breeding pine trees. <laughs> I love that look after he says that too. He's yeah. Like, breeding pine trees. Yeah. I mean, I just can't think of anybody but Michael J. Fox in this position. He took something that was sort of funny and made it really funny uh-huh. just by his looks and his delivery alone. Yep. Yep, and, and Chris Lloyd was an absolute home run. Absolutely. Yeah, so the setup for Twin Pines, you know, Marty goes back in time, and ultimately there's another bit of a chase where he's running from the shotgun blast of Old Man Peabody. Also, by the way, another name that you do not see until the credits is the name of Old Man Peabody's son, who's got the comics magazine. Yeah. And his name is... I can't remember. Sherman. Sherman Peabody. Hello there, Peabody here. What famous date shall I set it to today, Mr. Peabody? October 19th, 1781. Yes, Sherman and Peabody, the old, the old cartoon uh, where the dog and the boy Mr. used Peabody to Sherman, yeah. travel back in time. That's cool. Hey, I want to circle back on one thing that has always bothered me. So, in my opinion, these are two perfect movies. We're comparing the Mona Lisa to Starry Night here, okay? Okay. But one of the things, that when the Libyans pull up and shoot Doc, the dude unloads his clip. It's like... 40 shots to the chest. Yeah. Right? It's an, you go back and look at how many shots, and I'm just, I'm wondering to myself, okay, bulletproof vest, but man, that many bullets and not one of them in the face? Yeah. You know? What if he'd shot you in the face? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what if he'd shot me in the face? That was a chance we're willing to take. <laughs> so here's the question that I have is Marty's about to go, as he's running from the Libyans, and he says, let's see if these can do 90 yes does he know he's about to go back in time i don't know what do you think well here's my problem it seems like he's not thinking about that it seems like going back in time is a big surprise to him and he says 90 very well knowing that it's 88 that's going to make him go back in time right but the problem is he's headed straight for the photo map that's true why? Why would you drive straight at the photo mat? Right. So one thing leads me to believe he didn't know he was going back in time, but the direction he's headed made me believe the other thing. But maybe they just needed that so that the Libyans had something to crash into. I don't know. Based on what I know about Marty's character, sort of a fly by the seat of your pants, I'm saying no. No, he wasn't thinking yeah. that. He was just going to dodge around he the just, photo mat. I'm just doing the best I can at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> So real quick, when Indy crosses the threshold, we have this amazing scene as he comes into Marion's bar. And the setup for Marion is amazing. Uh, The character is one that gives us both feminine power and damsel in distress at just the right moments. Yes. So 
he walks in and we we understand that there's a history here you know we've gotten the, we've gotten her theme as they call it a bit before when Indy's talking about um, you know do you think she's still going to be with him but we know that history is there and he walks in and we don't see him once again the light effect on this the shadow and the hat yeah. we see the shadow the unmistakable silhouette of Indiana on the wall and he's gigantic Hello, Marion. He's taken up the whole screen, and she's a small little girl like she was. Then she moves forward. Indiana Jones. And suddenly she's as big, if not bigger, than the shadow on the wall. Always knew someday you'd come walking back through my door. As though she's she's overcome what he put her through in the past. Yeah. And then, in just in case you had any doubt at all, the moment he's not looking at her, she punches him in the face. Oh, she decks him. And it's a full-on... It's not a Willie Scott punch. This is a Marion Ravenwood haymaker, right? Absolutely. And she lands it, and Indy acts like it's the hardest punch she takes the entire movie, <laughs> yeah. right? But uh, so let's talk a little bit about Indy's morality. Okay. After the punch, Marion says, I've learned to hate you in the last 10 years. Right. Okay. Seeming to mean that 10 years ago we had a relationship that has since been dead. If she's 26 or 7, I'm going to go with 29. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're choosing to believe the best of Indy here. Yeah, because if I get too far, if she's 26, he's a dirty old man. Right. I don't want him to be a dirty old man. Well, so I... she was 19 and, and now she's okay. 29. All right. All right. Okay. What well, do you think? Well, I disagree with that because what she says to him is, I was young. I was in love. It was wrong, and you knew it. Yeah. Right? And he says, you knew what you were doing. Right. Which so basically is, if, you were 17, but it didn't matter because you loved me anyway. Or 18 or 19. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I think that... The, I was a child. She said, I was a child. Right. Now, if she was an actual child, obviously, he can't be anybody's hero, and we need to throw this movie into the fire. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I think, figuratively speaking and comparatively speaking, like, she's 19 and he's 28. Yeah. Maybe 26. I feel like that maybe Harrison Ford was in his mid-30s at this point, and she was in her late 20s. And so, yeah, comparatively, the difference between a 19-year-old and 26-year-old, especially in that time, could be huge. Sure. And I'm not... I'm not lobbying for this thing. I'm just yeah. want to just kind of check it out, you know? There's definitely a contingent out there that has analyzed this and gone, dirty old man. Well, okay. I love Indy. He's my hero. I, I don't want him to be a dirty old man. I do know that Lucas, Spielberg, and Lawrence Kasdan sat down and they wanted this vague idea of an inappropriate relationship. Right. But it's never really fleshed out. But it goes back to, is Indy a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he just an unperfect guy? Well, and I think, you know, I don't know if you've gone back and watched any of the old James Bond movies that were coming out in the 70s, but I mean... There are many times in those movies that I'm like, God, James Bond is a pig. <laughs> so let's just assume she was 18, he was 26, it wasn't that horrible. Okay. She's overreacting. Yeah. Okay. And then we see her out drinking the biggest Nepalese hiker in the bar, tough, hits Indy, tough, talks tough. When the bad guys even come in, she has this moment where uh, she blows smoke into Tote's face that's just classic. Do you still have it? No. I mean, her bravado is amazing. And then once the once the S starts to hit the fan, she becomes the damsel in distress, and the hero shows back up again. That's right. But 
And who wouldn't with a red hot poker in your face? Oh, sure. So Toad shows up, right. says your fire's dying, pulls out the red hot poker, and basically forces her to tell me where the headpiece of the staff rocks. Right. I'll tell you everything. Yes. Indy shows up, pulls out the whip, and you get this great sound effect. This. Let her go. Pull the poker out of his hand, sets the place on fire, and here we go. Right. The old world burns down. Like, you know, the old world is burning down, which lets us know we're about to go somewhere that we're com- it's completely there, unknown, right. right? In the midst of the fight, we still have this kind of duality and the anti-hero and the imperfect hero because Indy's struggling. I mean, it's not like he just goes and kicks everybody's butt and they, it's over. It is, I'm struggling here. And so she has to come to his rescue a couple of times. She saves his butt, shoots that guy Whiskey. in the head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's right. Right, and just when you th- he thinks he's going to get shot, she shoots. The German boxer brawler that he, he punches out at the plane fight later yes. on in the movie is actually one of these Nepalese guys who's fighting him in the bar. It's the guy that uh, swings at him with his burning arm. And he's actually the same guy in Temple of Doom that Indy hits in the head with a big rock. So I think Indy actually kills the same actor three different times. Well, let me say this real quick, just on the swinging fire thing. We're talking about how good these movies are and that they're you're talking about two perfection movies if i have to point out a flaw the bar fight scene has got some in it okay. the absurdly slow swinging of the burning arm is a bit ridiculous a little deliberate yes right when tote says shoot them shoot them both mm-hmm. their shadow you see the shadow on the wall behind the two guys who are you know indy and the guy he's fighting before they both decide to turn and shoot and then the guy who crosses the screen from the right even though we just saw him in the back it doesn't make any sense at all right there's not quite perfection in that scene. Also, when when Tote burns his hand on the headpiece of the stuff raw, yeah. he holds it for like 30 seconds. Right. Who is he, Daffy Duck? (laughs) 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 And then the the idea that a burn like that would just create perfect lines that were legible in your hand is just completely crazy. It does get the movie going in the right direction. Right. I guess you got to make some concessions. I I am troubled by those scenes. (laughs) What is it? What is it, Paul? Looks like an airplane. Without wings. That ain't no airplane. Look. Then to end Marty's struggle, he throws himself into this unknown world, and then all of a sudden people are shooting at him because they think he's an alien. When Michael J. Fox exits the barn, mm-hmm. this part, it's so real and yet hilarious. <laughs> okay? He pops out, hey, sorry about your barn. <laughs> and they shoot. And he fall, and he trips and falls back in the barn, completely hysterical. Oh, my gosh. And then decides, okay, I can't stick around here, and plows out the door with the right. DeLorean. Right, and at which point he's still shooting at him, and he takes out a pine, which, if anything, upsets old man Peabody more than <laughs> anything that's happened so far. Yeah. Killed a pine. So, and that is the setup that you were leading to a moment ago. When Marty ultimately returns, it's no longer called the Twin Pines Mall. It's Lone Pine Mall. And Sherman Peabody is looking at this comic book. It's, it's called Tales from Space, right? And Tales from Space was not an actual comic book. Okay. That was a made-up thing to okay. fit for the movie. Yeah. But it was based upon a real comic called... 
Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Which was later directed by Robert Zemeckis. All right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So it all ties together. Right? The, the comic books come together. Oh, and the Indiana Jones. This is so incredibly crazy. That intro scene for Indiana Jones is based on a comic book of Scrooge McDuck. I saw this. You said this to me the other day. I did. It is so good. The rolling ball and all that stuff. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. shocking to go, oh my gosh, they've got the intro scene of the greatest movie of the 80s from a Scrooge McDuck comic book. Let's talk a little bit about what had gone on before with movies and what these movies did to change those things. Okay. In 1968, the Hayes Code, which was what movies had used up at that point to decide what was uh, acceptable to put in a movie and what violated moral standards, it was done away with, and they started the rating system where, you know, if you want to see faces melt off and boobies on the screen, then you know you go to this movie, and if you don't want to see that, don't go to the movie that's rated R or worse. So in the 1970s, we see this thing that happens with action movies. We see an amazing amount of violence come in. We see the Wild Bunch, known for completely pushing the envelope as far as they could with violence in a movie. You have the Dirty Harry movies. You have the Death Wish movies. You have the Bruce Lee movies. These are the action movies of the day. And I got to tell you, as a kid who was born in 75 and didn't really start watching those movies until 1980, I go back and I look at those things and I, I can't say that I'm repulsed, but it makes me uncomfortable. I don't feel like I connect with the people, that, the action heroes that we have of those days. There are movies that I, I like to watch, but there's an uneasiness that comes along with it. And so what we have in 1981 is a reinvention of what had happened before. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg throw back They throw back to the serials where we had the quest, the adventure, and they bring that action back in, and it's not so unsettling. There's some gory stuff that happens, but it's not a protagonist that's causing the gory stuff, right? Right, right. He's not the one that impales the guy at the beginning of the movie. He's not the one that burns people's faces off. And when he shoots a guy in the movie, it's one shot and a fall, and there's not a lot of blood. Right. Indy is a character who feels pain. He gets beat up. He hurts. Clint Eastwood didn't really act like... Like, oh, I'm hurting all over, right? He was impervious to fear and mistakes, almost. That's what makes it so relatable is because you're beat up. You know, you fight a German boxer. Marion punches you three days ago. You get dragged (laughs) by a truck. You're going to be roughed up. Right. And he feels pain. Right. This is also the reason why I think Die Hard works so well, but we'll talk about that a later day. Sure. And, you know, the action, they took something from those old serials and they created something new. They took something old and they they made it new again. They reinvented the action adventure movie with this. And I, w- I would say that they reinvented it. It started with Star Wars. I mean, right. just to be That's to right. be straight, George Lucas took the action adventure, put it in space, and gave us something that was family-friendly adventure, right? We don't have blood. We don't have sex. It's just good old family. For Star Wars to be rated PG, it was almost a G-rated movie. You had to give Han a few cuss words just to get it to a PG rating. <laughs> Real quick to talk about the time travel movies. We're looking now at 1985. 
you know, we talked about how Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale had a whole lot of trouble getting a studio to get on board with this movie. They had actually pitched it for something like four or five years before it was ever greenlighted. Now, see, the thing was, the reason that the studio was turning these guys down is because they didn't particularly want another time travel movie. They were in that uncomfortable, not dirty enough, uh, but too dirty. Right. Uh <laughs> Too unsettling. Sorry. How about we do a, an Oedipus show? How about that? Um, and then the time travel movies that were going on at that time, let's, we've, we've got Somewhere in Time. And then we had the final countdown. Yeah. You've got the Philadelphia Experiment. And then you have Time Bandits. I, I love Time Bandits, but it's not at the same scale that Back to the Future is. Oh, no. And then Time After Time. H.G. Wells has actually invented a time machine, and Jack the Ripper uses the time machine to go into the future, and H.G. Wells chases after him to bring him back. And so it's H.G. Wells and Jack the Ripper in 1979. And kind of the key idea of the movie is something that Jack the Ripper says, 90 years ago, I was a freak. Today, I'm an amateur. It was just about how bad society had gotten at that point. And then H.G. Wells happens to fall in love with a young girl from 1979 who was making, I think, her second movie this actress was in, and her name was Mary Steenburgen. Wow. Who we see again in just a few... That's future three. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. Cool, cool. I need to see this movie. Yeah, I really... I I had hoped to see it before we did this episode, but I, I will be watching time after time at some time in the here, future. Raiders has reinvented the action-adventure movie, and Back to the Future has reinvented the time travel movie. So let's, let's again, let's compare what uh, Indy and Marty are going through, all right? And, and these, you know, this is, this is a key idea for me. You know, the, I loved watching Indiana and, I, you know, could think, oh, it'd be cool to be him. When I watched Marty do the skateboarding things, I was like, I could see that happening to me. Like I could be him. I actually, it's, it's like a believable thing to me that it could that it could be him. And you've got fight scenes that seem realistic. They're one or two punches, and then you're running away. Right. I know how to trip guys. <laughs> yeah. When a guy's not looking at me, I might could trip the bully. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and I'm not going to shoot any swordsman anytime soon. But right. So, like I said, Raiders is a movie that I had seen hundreds of times. Love the movie. So. In 1989, I had a Spanish teacher, a little bit out of touch, but very nice, (laughs) wanted to do a special treat for my Spanish class, so she brought in a movie for our Spanish class to watch in Spanish. Are all Spanish teachers a little bit that way? Not my wife. (laughs) (laughs) My wife is a Spanish teacher, so I'm going to be easy about how I nudge the Spanish teachers here. So anyway... She says, hey, class, I've, I've got a movie for us to watch today. Uh-huh. We're going to watch it in Spanish, and I'll pause it frequently, and we'll see if you can tell what's going on. So she puts in Raiders <laughs> in Spanish. So after 20 minutes, you know, or whatever, 30 minutes, she pauses it. Okay, does anybody know what's going on? Raise my hand. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, the government guys are here, and they're offering him a chance to chase down the ark, but they want, you know... <laughs> wow, very good, Miguel. Miguel. Push, yeah, that's my Spanish name. <laughs> so we push play, watch some more, pause it. Does anyone know what's going on? Raise my hand. 
yeah, the staff is too long. They're looking in the wrong place. They've got the wrong side of the headpiece of the staff of Raj. Forgot to take one back. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, Miguel. I can't believe you. <laughs> so this goes on, and she's amazed at my Spanish uh, competency. She didn't know I'd seen this movie 10,000 times. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Let's talk for a moment about the Indiana Jones fight in the Cairo streets. The basket chase. Now, you and I have talked off the air about this before. Right. This is another imperfection that you don't really like, and I, I kind of agree with you. All right. Talk about that. Okay, so it is frustrating to me how um, <laughs> how Marion's in the basket and the truck blows up, and then somehow she's still alive without uh, anything It must have switched the baskets. But that doesn't... There's just not... That's not possible in the scenes as you watch the scenes right, right. i mean unless unless the guy who's got his face all covered up in the black is david copperfield <laughs> not possible for that switch to have occurred right and, and it why was a would they trick. switch and why would they put a basket full of laundry in a truck with explosives i mean yeah that's a bit of that's a bit absurd too yeah. just oh the truck fell over boom <laughs> what again we've got wily e. coyote driving the truck <laughs> so that it explodes upon impact so that's that's the scene that you have trouble with. Yeah. There's a scene that I have trouble with in Back of the Future, which we'll get to that here in a little bit. Let's talk about the swordman fight in yes. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. So they're shooting in Tunisia. Right. Steven Spielberg has imported all this uh, SpaghettiOs from England that right. he eats when, out of a can. Right. Well, he he imported them in his suitcase. Like He was like, <laughs> okay, we're going to a place that we've never been to before that don't have the same health standards that we do. I'm going to bring some food with me. And he was the only one who didn't have major stomach issues while right. they're shooting. Right. Every actor and actress got sick. Yes. Uh, John Ray Davis, who plays Sala, apparently... Uh, Soiled himself. Led the... <laughs> Let, let the let the squirrel go in his drawers uh, while shooting a scene, not just walking. I mean, like they were filming. Yeah, but he kept on going. Well, good for him. Yes, you know, I've been acting. like cut, cut. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, on the, on that same topic of Marion, obviously everybody thinks she's dead at this moment. Right. Sala's reaction to that. Did, did you heard about Marion? <laughs> Marion's dead. Yes, I know. Sorry. Life goes on, Indy. All right. Well, life must go on. <laughs> what that? What kind of? I mean, you love that I, guy, but I, I mean, he's not a good guy to have around at a funeral. Well, they're moving quickly. <laughs> moving on. You got no time to dwell on the death of your one true love. Marion's dead. Yes, I know. Life goes on. And so, let's talk about the enemies. So, let's talk about Belloc for just a moment, okay? Okay. So, there are some big ideas with both of these movies, but let's real quick look at the big ideas that go along with Raiders of the Lost Ark. One of the big ideas is wisdom and knowledge. And this movie lets us believe that being smart is cool. And that wasn't so much a thing at that particular time in history. That was, But this movie says it's okay. Our Tomb Raider is not just some witless thief. He is a college professor. And even our villain beats our hero because he has superior knowledge. We see it at the very beginning of the movie. You could warn them if only you spoke Havitos, right? It is, it is Indy's lack of education that leads him to fail at the beginning of the movie. And then Belloc, even as we in the bar scene, where just before he gets saved by Sala's kids, Belloc even has the wisdom to appreciate the power of the Ark, which for this for the whole movie 
Indy has scoffed at. That's right. To him, the Ark is something historical. I'm going after a find of incredible historical significance. You're talking about the boogeyman. But Belloc says it is like a radio for speaking to God. He knows that there's more to the Ark than just the historical significance of it. True. So those are some major, that's a major big idea that's going on with him. One of the other things that Belloc himself talks to Indy about, and clearly Indy doesn't like it, but Belloc tells him, you are just a shadowy reflection of me. Yeah. It would just take a nudge for you to be exactly like me. Right. And he's exactly right. Now you're getting nasty. You know it's true. That's it. It's the, the good and the evil and the complacent, right? Our American is the hero. Yes. So we think he's good. We kind of... Have that idea, at least you could have a beer with him or something, right? Right. And the Nazis are obviously bad, but Belloc, he is working with these bad guys, but it's just kind of a means to an end, right? He has his own selfish motivations. What about your boss, Der Fuhrer? I thought he was waiting to take possession. All in good time. When I'm finished with it. But, like you just noted, Indy isn't too far off from where he is. His concern is with the Ark, not with the politics of the Nazis. That doesn't seem to be an issue for him. And like you said, Belloc says to him, you and I are very much alike. Archaeology is our religion. You know, I would even go so far as to say there's at least twice that Belloc saves Marion. Oh, yeah. You know? Again, selfish motivations, but he's... He definitely did not want her pushed into the well of souls. He didn't want her thrown into the well of souls. So... Irritated. He's not a total bad guy. Right. <laughs> well, I have to be going now, Renee. <laughs> I like you, Renee, very much. Perhaps we'll meet someday under better circumstances. Yes. So there, yeah. there's, our, there's our villain yes. for Raiders. Now let's talk about Biff. What are you looking at, butthead? He is the classic bully. Yes. Right? Like, I mean, you couldn't be more stereotypical bully than Biff. And again, it's all set up and payoff. But he's a guy, you don't feel compassion for him. He's just a jerk. And he's a dumb jerk. He's a dumb jerk. And he is like every bully you've ever met. He's not evil. But he's a not somebody you would ever want to be with trust. I mean, he's a bad dude. And he that that starts to turn during the scene where he's got Lorraine in the car. Absolutely. So, so he, he, he moves from being merely a bully to a potential rapist, right. which makes that payoff scene so much more better. So much more better. I did. I said that. <laughs> Thank you. Go back and, to English and, class. Uh, from what I've read, Thomas Wilson, Thomas F. Wilson, yes. is a super nice guy. Oh, yeah. Like in real life, this yeah. is not who he is. So the bully persona is kind of what was the impetus behind Bob Gale writing this movie. I mean, it's I, he doesn't specifically say bully, but the, the movie comes from, he was looking at an old yearbook that his dad had. He's flipping through it and he sees a picture of his dad as a young high school student and his dad is the class president. And his thought at that moment is, guys who are class presidents in my class were a-holes. Right. He, and that is, he starts to think to himself... I wonder if I had been around when my dad, when he was in high school, if I would have even been friends with him. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that is a, 
That's a great question. I, I can't I can't answer that question because I don't know what my dad was like in high school. But I wonder. I, I couldn't say for sure that yeah we'd be we would have been great friends. It's a great question. And so the that is the big idea that we have in Back to the Future is family, right? This question: Would the teenage us have liked our parents as teenagers? Which one's your pop? That's him. Okay, okay, you guys. Ha, 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 ha. Very funny. You guys are being real mature. Maybe we were adopted. <laughs> or this, he's an idiot. His parents are probably idiots. <laughs> Lorraine, you ever have a kid that acts like that? And I'll disown you. <laughs> and so then that leads us to the idea of how likely are we to relive our parents' failures or successes? which is the, the underlying theme for the whole movie. Definitely. You know, Lorraine, as she's talking about poor Uncle Joey, says we all make mistakes in life. And Uncle Jailbird Joey. Yeah. And then Marty says, what if they don't like it? What if they say, kid, you're just no good. I don't think I could live with that kind of rejection. Jesus, I'm trying to tell him how mad. Right? Yep. So are we doomed? You know, are we going to make the same stupid mistakes that our parents made? Is it unavoidable? But looking back at it now, I have to wonder about my own kids. Are they going to make the same mistakes that I made? What you do as a parent is you try not to have them go through that, but what's ingrained? What's going to be? According to Allison from The Breakfast Club, it's unavoidable. Yeah. But it's a great question, and it sets up a great movie. Right. And as as much of a rebel as Marty is, and even though it's obvious from the beginning of the movie that his parents embarrass him or irritated him or frustrated him to no end, he's still willing to sacrifice his life to save his dad. Of course. And I think the movie does a good job of demonstrating that parents can learn from their children. Yeah. Right? And... George learns to be brave from Marty. Yeah. All right, everybody, that wraps up episode three of our Raiders Back to the Future. Come back next week for episode four. Yeah, and don't forget to subscribe to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, as well as check us out on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you've got time, check us out on YouTube, too. Hey, a five-star review wouldn't be too bad either. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next week. All music images and movie clips are used for the purposes of commentary and education in conjunction with the fair use agreement under the U.S. copyright law.